Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, I'm your host, Jeffrey D. Calhoun, and I have some incredible news. TheSuccessfulScreenwriter.com is officially live. We're moving to a monthly subscription with both free and paid options, all of which have the benefits of group discussions, reviews, seminars, Academy Award-winning screenplays, and even open writing assignments from producers. As a monthly member of TheSuccessfulScreenwriter.com, you'll be able to join our monthly screenwriting competition where the winner can have their work presented to a talent manager. Go to the Successful Screenwriter website today for access to live interviews with producers, directors, and award-winning writers. All you have to do is go to thesuccessfulscreenwriter.com and join the community that helps you develop. Join us today for your chance at community, opportunity, and education. Now, on to the show. All right, welcome to the Successful Screenwriter Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything screenwriting. Here we interview successful screenwriters and filmmakers to find out just what it takes to make it in the industry. All right, welcome to the podcast. We are doing a character breakdown today of hacking and cybersecurity. We have an expert, Kareem Hajazi, who is the host of the Introverted Iconoclast Podcast. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Jeffrey. Great to be here. So real quick, just give me your origin story and kind of what you do. Sure. I'll keep it concise uh, in that it's fairly long. It goes now 26, 27 years. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's been quite the evolution. So I started in what is widely known as competitive intelligence. And that is a somewhat of a watered down term for corporate spying. Um, so I started my, my work getting information for my clients to help them win bids, um, primarily in big oil, pharma. I was overseas. I had offices in the Emirates, uh, London um, in the late 90s. And I essentially did that very successfully for quite a while and then moved to the U.S., um, back to the U.S., I should say. There's, there's history even prior to that, but we'll get, we'll get into that some other time. Um, in early 2000s, and I right around 9-11, I converted my firm due to a variety of things, budget constraints, interest in what we were offering as, a, as an item uh, of a capability from a competitive intelligence company to a counterintelligence company. And believe it or not, it was almost overnight, Jeffrey, because wow. literally um, what I was doing for my clients was sort of like, oh, that's backburnered. That's a, that's a 
luxurious item to be buying at the moment. We need to kind of buckle down our budgets. And I was sitting having lunch with a friend who was in, in what we used to call InfoSec cybersecurity today. And he said, he was just casually sitting there talking to me and he goes, Hey, why don't you just, why don't you sell capabilities and countermeasures to your clients that you presently have to protect them from guys just like you <laughs> and your team. And it was a very clever idea. And I thought, you know, that's actually not half bad. Let me, let me kind of think about it. And over the next week, I literally retooled my whole organization to be a counterintelligence consultancy versus a competitive intelligence consultancy. Wow. And so I went from basically collecting intelligence on behalf of my clients to essentially breaking into my actual clients' environments, showing them how I was able to get in what's referred to today as vulnerability testing or penetration testing, but on, on a complete level. Like if anyone, I'm sure with your audience, they remember some seminal movies like um, Sneakers with Sidney Poitier and sure. um, uh, Robert Redford. That was very much what I had. I had a gaggle of folks that were mismatched library scientists and former federal operators and hackers, and they all did their, their part of the job to get into an environment. I had people in FedEx uniforms and UPS uniforms walking around in places, and it was fantastic. It was an incredibly exciting um, period of my life. And then uh, fast forward to around 2008 and nine, and I got heavily into the cyber side of it because uh, if you've heard of something called a botnet, which um, in simple terms is something like your computer, Jeffrey, my computer being infiltrated and, and infected with a form of a computer virus called malware yeah. that then uses your computer and then 10,000 or 20,000 or several million other computers to do its bidding. It becomes wow. this zombie botnet of, of machines. And it was a really fascinating thing that finally emerged into the mainstream consciousness. And I was part of a group to help implicate that. And that really set me on the course to another, another direction. Uh, I built a company in 2010 that was specifically infiltrating those networks, breaking into the hackers' environments to see who they've impacted. So it's sort of a hunting the hunters kind of thing. That's amazing. It was fascinating. Um, that company was sold to a company called Mandiant, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. They sold to Google, I think, large, second largest Google acquisition in history, I think three or four days, well, a week ago now. Jeez, I'm losing track of time. And uh, I sold it for a wonderful windfall. I essentially retired for a period of time. I'm actually, I retired and I moved to Maui, which is where I'm right now. But yeah. then re-entered the industry in 17 because... I started to see the emergence of supply chain attacks, which we've started to hear about in the news. It's yeah. becoming part of mainstream consciousness because it's the perfect vector. It, it's exactly how an adversary is going to get into an organization that they're interested in. So my new company, which I run today, I'm actively the CEO and founder of, um, collects intelligence, and I can get into how we do it if it's of interest and, and, and all that. Similarly to what I mentioned before, we still hack into the hackers' environments we see who they're impacting, and then we deliver that information to either the victim or we'll give the information to organizations that have a large partner ecosystem or supply chain so they can then preemptively limit their exposure. So if you want to use a pandemic analogy, Jeffrey, it would okay. be I'm providing social distancing information about who's infected and who's not before those companies have any kind of connectivity to someone that could laterally get them infected or be contagious. It's a very controversial firm because... I'm essentially, in a lot of people's eyes, I'm airing someone's breach situation to uh, others before they even know it. And my, my rationale and 
from an ethical standpoint, I'm protecting the innocent. I'm keeping non-zombies from becoming zombies, in my opinion, rather than trying to cure the zombie. Let's so, just keep as many humans alive as we can. So these companies that are infected there, do they have sort of like a scarlet letter then in this industry and people don't want to do direct business with them? Yes. So that's a really good way of framing it. That's a, that's a fantastic metaphor. They kind of have a scarlet letter in two ways. One is exactly that. Think about Target. I think we all know the Target situation. They got yeah. their yeah. HVAC system. And then for a while, people just were like, I'm reluctant and reticent to use my credit card in Target, right? Because they didn't <laughs> want that information stolen. They, they eventually overcame that and they got past it. They also had some stakeholder confidence and, you know, it does, it does hurt them from a reputational standpoint without question. Right. The other piece of this, which is, I'm glad you brought this up, is they become a, they get on a list. They become known within the hacker community that they're penetrate. They, they can be penetrated. It's, it's actually oh, wow. something that's actually easily to easily gotten in because their, their security is just not up to snuff. So unless they make a dramatic cultural shift to making that a priority, generally speaking, now they're, they're on a new list of everyone else that could possibly want to have a piece of them. So yeah, once you're vulnerable, you're, you're pretty vulnerable and you have to bring in an expert yeah. like yourself to really restructure the entire environment. Yes. And it's a technological restructuring transformation as well as a personnel one, unfortunately. So I tend to be a, a hated individual in the industry sometimes. Because is there a, a social hacking, like a social mm -hmm. engineering hack that is involved in what you do? Massive, really on target question. So that used to be thought among a lot of folks that it's gone totally electronic and there's no longer any phone calls or emails that have social engineering efforts involved. Right. Completely untrue. It is the basis upon which we still do our job. So and you, all you're waiting that, on the human element. That's the hackable element, Jeffrey. It's okay. Always, yeah. All right. Yeah. Because you, you know, you see, this is leading into a question I wanted to ask you is, is, um, you know, what is, what, what have you seen that is the most unrealistic portrayed in, in films or media? Yeah. And I always see the back door, right? Right. Right. So is that a thing or is it really, you're just relying on phishing scams and, and whatever else, like you said, you had guys in FedEx uniforms. Right. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. Um, Colonial pipeline, that ransomware event. If you followed that, um, okay. what, six months ago now, seven months ago. That was a ransomware attack that was perpetuated by some individual within Colonial Pipeline, an employee that lost their credentials or had them stolen. And the hacker bought access, bought those credentials on the dark web. And then they used it just to go in through what? that. Yes. So it was an actual legitimate employee's credentials, their VPN credentials that they were able to get a hold of. So the hacker walked in through the front door, essentially. Let's just oh call God. it what it was. So to your point, you're there, that is considered a backdoor. I said front door, but it is <laughs> a backdoor. Um, but then there is also the possibility there's a vulnerability in a system that they can exploit, which is a backdoor. Okay. Um, to answer your question about most unrealistic, it's a great question. Um, maybe the overly dramatized kind of hacking away at the keyboard, slamming away at it and yeah. then getting in. Yeah, it's a little silly. Uh, it I get I get it has the visceral effect of someone hacking. Right. Most of it's very slow. You you don't have the time compression like that in real life. You usually would deploy something. You wait. You see if someone clicks on it. They don't. You try another avenue. You're constantly looking for something that's more of a backdoor. So are you time doing? Are you doing like? Are you doing like A/B testing? 
type of yeah. things. This works, this doesn't work, this works, this doesn't work. That's absolutely nice. correct. It's constant testing. It's constant curiosity. The, the beauty of it for the hacker, unfortunately for, for good guys like me, is the asymmetry of them failing many times and us failing once is, is the problem. They can try as many times as they need. We can only fail once as a security team. So they technically have an advantage that way. It's because they just need patience. They just need to yeah. wait it out. That's yeah. amazing. They don't even necessarily need to be that skillful. They can just kind of keep trying until they find a way in. It's very much what happened with Anonymous and Lulsec. They found ways in and then they would on Twitter. And this is their, their genius is their sensationalism. They are able to say on Friday, we're going to hack into so-and-so place. And everyone's like, oh, and they sit with bated breath going, Anonymous is going to hack into somewhere on Friday. And everyone believes it's going to be like what you see in the movies where on Friday, they're all going to get in front of their laptops. They're going to hammer away at the keyboard. They're going to get in. Yeah. What's really happened is they've gotten in and they're just going to announce that they're getting in on Friday. And it looks uh, to the general population that they're achieved, like, despite the defenses of said organization, they're still able to get by them and all. And it's, it's, it's brilliant it's a, PR. it is, it's incredible. Yeah. And they have the whole uh, Guy Fox mask thing going on right. so that you can identify them. They're branded. Really, they're they branded as hackers. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating. I never looked at it that Genius. way. Yeah, it's it's very, very clever. And it's not to say they don't have any skill. It's just that they're not literally doing um, the hack at the moment they say they're doing it. They, it's all it's all time compression and, and announcements at the right time to make it look like, well, said we were going to do it. Here it is. And everyone's that's, like, yeah. wow. Incredible. No, that's, that's, that's really interesting. So... That, what is the type of person that gets into what you do? I mean, are they introverted? Are they extroverted? What's their, what kind of education do they have? Is this self-taught? Are people going to, you know, getting degrees in this stuff? It's both. I will tell you historically, and um, I'm a little older in this industry compared to many of the younger guys. Um, and funny enough, I think we share a similar thing. I have a degree in photography. That's where I started. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was in the arts. Uh, that was my goal. I found my way into what I mentioned with competitive intelligence. I had no real belief I would get into it. There's a whole story around that, that I can share at some point, it's actually on my podcast, but, um, yeah. And, and some of the best and not, not putting myself in that category, but, but I will say some of the best do not have any formal training. There are people that are curious and there's a whole litany of flavors, right? There's the really old school hacking groups like Cult of the Dead Cow and Loft and MOD and LOD and all these guys from the late 90s, mid, even 80s. I mean, yeah. some of the, in fact, there's a um, prolific um, journalist named Joseph Men. He wrote a book about Cult of the Dead Cow, the very first hacking group. It's a really good book. Um, and they were just innocent. They're, they're really more like the activist types. They were the ones that were saying freedom of information let's let's see what we can do to kind of understand how this whole thing works the internet was not built with security in it inherently right. so these were groups that essentially did that now that's ancient history now now it is people that have gone to school with with degrees in ethical hacking and all that i'm not trying to uh knock on the people that have you know actual credentials from universities but they tend to be a little bit more standardized they learn it they learn it from a book or, or the latest textbook on how to do it they're okay. not as curious or as innovative as some of the ones that sort of learn it on their own to be perfectly honest and at least the way i've hired i hire people that tend to have just a it's a it's a personality and and to answer your question 
both. I would say it airs, it would probably be a mm, 60, 40 split, 60% introverted, 40%, maybe a little more extroverted. So you're looking for somebody that has really out of the box thinking, right? Like a fluid type of intelligence. Absolutely correct. And um, everyone assumes with my company that I've hired out of government, you know, the NSA and other places, which I have. Um, but they're very good for a very specific set of things that need to be done because quite honestly, the folks that men many times work for the government have to maintain a perfect record so they can maintain clearances. And it's a di diametrically opposing requirement to be perfect <laughs> and then be curious. Don't go hand in hand, right? You're going to maybe not break horrible laws. I'm not trying to say that people are criminals that I'm trying to find, but <laughs> I need them to think like a criminal if they're going to be able to catch one. So are you, so the person who I've always, I, I always, when I trained in the martial arts for like 20 years, mm -hmm. we were always taught to fear the guy that tried something a hundred times and failed. Yes. Because he was the guy that would figure out a way to get past your defenses. That's right. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're looking for. Very much so. And funny, another parallel with you and I. So I practiced ninjutsu for a long time. That was the one that I was zeroed in on. I, I, I have a showdown in the Ido. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> We're mortal enemies. Wow. That's incredible. Well, that makes for phenomenal conversation. That's awesome. It is. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because that whole concept of um, <laughs> refining your process and a softer martial art approach, which is moving the energy and, yeah. and allowing, allowing the adversary to go to get all, getting off tilt, despite it being damaging to you to some degree is worth it, man. Yeah. All, all those, all those art of war tactics that are the foundation right. for everything. I'm taking yeah. you out for a coffee next time I'm in Malibu. I look forward to it, man. That'd be a blast. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, let's focus. Um, so what is your, your biggest pet peeve when it comes to people trying to get into your industry? Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. It's perfectly tied to the question or what we just concluded and tied okay. off on just the, you know, the nature of the person, people that come in from a way of doing things that is extremely standardized and they try to impress upon us that's no, 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 there's gotta be strategy and structure here that okay. don't get me wrong. Process is key. I'm not trying to knock a level of, um, you know, procedure and SOP, right? Standard yeah. operator. That's critical. You do need to have that. But if there's going to be this, no, 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 let's not try that because that's never, never worked before, or that's not the way you do it. That's the pet peeve because my company wouldn't exist if I listened to that narrative, which is that that's not the way it's done. Right. You've just, you've just issued me a challenge, brother. You know, you say <laughs> that it's on bro. Let's, let's go. You just that's said it. Hilarious. Oh I God. have the no. same instinct when I wrote yeah. my, when I wrote my book, uh, I wrote my book and I pitched it to everybody and, and mm -hmm. said, and people said, well, there's no, there's no market for this. And I said, there's absolutely market for this. And now I have absolutely. to make it a bestseller. So. Yes. Yes. I so, love that, man. The challenge right. is what makes it yeah, happen. Exactly. Lights you up. All right. So you want somebody that, that gets lit up from a challenge. Now, what is a failure that you've either experienced personally in what you've done that you're willing to share or in general that you've seen in the profession? Yeah. Um, I have a good one for you on that one. Oh, so okay, when I was, when I was a consultant, when I was doing the counterintelligence consulting, I was hired by my, my, um, client 
to give them bad news. <laughs> I, right. And I, I was like, this is wonderful. I mean, not wonderful, but the bad news part, but it was wonderful that I was able to be coveted by, you know, a group of people that wanted to learn um, what was wrong and how I could maybe offer suggestions on how to improve it. And I took that mentality. Little did I know, ingenue, un, unclear on how this was going to go when I went into a product development role with Unvalence, which is the company I sold to Mandy in, in 2010, that I found I found in 2010. And I went in there with that mentality that if I build, if I build something that gives really, really compelling intelligence to a customer, they'll buy it just like they did when I was a consultant. Totally wrong. Because what I did was I built something where I was delivering unsolicited bad news to someone that I thought would buy it. I thought, hey, man, you're hacked six ways from Sunday. Aren't you thrilled that I found this for you? I know you didn't ask me to do it, but take a look. And they're like, get the hell out of here. I'm calling the FBI. And that's oh, exactly wow. what happened Like for months. I got to know the FBI really, really well. Um, and that was a really shocking realization that when you're trying to deliver a widget, in, in security, especially now where it's like the thing that does something for you rather than the, the advice that you're being asked for, it's a completely different angle to get people to want it. Um, it's a different kind of marketing. I don't like it. I got to be honest with you. I, I miss my consulting days because I felt, you know, it's really hard on the ego when you build something, you think it's really great. And then people are like, this is horrible. Get out of here. This is, you just gave me more things to worry about. I don't have the budget for it. Now I can't ignore it. You bastard. Right. And that's and kind of what I've done. And yeah. they're gonna and they're gonna find a competitor instead because yeah because you're yeah. the one that brought it up to them that makes sense or worse they're gonna go to a competitor quote unquote competitor that's marketed themselves to be able to do what I can do which they can't but then because they're already in good with said customer yeah. customer goes with them and says look so and so does it already I'm like no they don't they're like no 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 they're bigger than you they know what they're doing I'm like oh god yeah so yeah it's hard lessons in in recent years have you noticed go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Just, just to tie up on that, the smoke and mirrors nature of cybersecurity is horrific. There's so much snake oil out there. I hope you enjoyed the sneak peek into our character database. To hear the full uncut interview, join our community as a pro or monthly member at thesuccessfulscreenreader.com. Listen, our character database is amazing and there is nothing else out there like it. This contains interviews with individuals in unique professions such as CIA officers, FBI agents, hackers, con artists, and more, all for you to use as research for your next big script. This is only available for pro and monthly members. Go to thesuccessfulscreenreader.com and sign up.